Welcome to Mission Control, where we give you step-by-step instructions on how to take your e-commerce store to levels only a rocket can reach. Each episode, we'll be interviewing an expert in the e-commerce industry that is going to give you simple, actionable advice on how to attract new customers, retain them, and build a brand that you are proud of. This show is brought to you by the makers of Rocket Car, an e-commerce service and solutions company. All right, welcome to one of our very first episode recordings of Mission Control. My name is Alex. I'm joined by my partner, Dave Pancham. And today on this episode, our guest is Brian Stark from 100 Celsius. Thank you so much for joining, Brian. Hey, hey, what's going on, Alex? Hey, Dave. Great to be here. Great to have you, Brian. Neighbor, kind of, right? Orange County. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, so we've got me, Costa Mesa. You are in Long Beach or Seal Beach? Which one? I'm Sherman Oaks. Oh, okay. Somebody else. (laughs) Sherman Oaks. And then we've got another one down South Orange County on your team, Victoria. Wow. (laughs) What are you doing, man? I know. I got to get out of the sunny weather, uh, the winter weather. (laughs) It's snowing here in New Jersey, so uh, I'm on the wrong side of the coast, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're in the direct path of a bomb cyclone, I think, right now, as the time of recording this. Yeah, the weather here is just, this is probably one of the most volatile weathers, uh, winters I've had, or we've had in a long time. So I'm definitely looking to get out of it. But let's let's get to it, Brian. Um, Let's talk about you know what you do tell us a little bit more about what it is you do with 100 celsius you also started your own brand recently we mm-hmm. met a couple months ago back in an event uh, and we're super excited to have you on so you know please tell us a little little bit about yourself and what you do yeah perfect well thanks for having me on again this is this is awesome you guys are amazing had such a blast meeting you at the event a few months back in atlanta um so i run 100 celsius we are a crm marketing and customer engagement strategy agency for e-commerce brands, uh, specifically D2C brands on Shopify, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, etc. And we help brands grow profitably using CRM channels like email, SMS, direct mail, customer service. And we help them do it in a way that not only makes lots of sales, but their customers love to engage with. That's what we call relationship-first marketing which is really an approach to marketing where it's driving results, it's making sales, but your customers actually enjoy engaging with it, which I think is a big difference to a lot of the way a lot of brands are doing it these days. So we can definitely talk more about that. In addition to the agency, uh, just like you said, we, I recently started an uh, e-commerce brand with my wife. It's called Fellow Living. We make the world's best waterproof dog blanket. We are launching uh, in the next couple of weeks officially. We've opened up for pre-orders. And it's a blanket that is being manufactured right here in the USA. We are going through the trials and tribulations of a first-time brand owner, which is great. It's given me a whole lot of respect for people that make physical products. <laughs> so excited to chat about that. But yeah, it's super exciting. And uh, it's been a blast to work on that with my wife as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, Dave, I'm super excited to learn more from Brian about fellow living uh, in particular, because like you said, Brian, you just started it and you're really just getting it off the ground and it's a very unique product. Um, Like you said, there's not many competitors to it. So tell us a little bit more about 100 Celsius and, you know, how it got started. Totally. My background is kind of uh, all over the place, but 100 Celsius got started because I was working in sales for an enterprise marketing technology company a few years back. I was living in New York and the company I was working with, we were a really high ticket enterprise technology SaaS company. So we worked with clients 
brands like Stitch Fix, Dollar Shave Club, Staples, Finish Line, Spanx, Mack Weldon, a lot of really cool brands. I work with Mack Weldon. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing, right? Mm-hmm. What we And basically, we were sort of that next step a brand would take after they graduated from something like a Clavio or most of these mid-market email marketing services. The reason was they would be looking for something that allowed them to take all this data they had on customers that was living in a million different places and then bring it all into one place that was accessible for marketers who then could use it to create really segmented, really targeted campaigns across lots of channels. Very complex. And it was great for these really high level brands. But as a salesperson, I was talking to a lot of smaller brands and they would, they would call in, they'd be looking for technology, enterprise marketing technology like this to solve their retention problems. You know, maybe they were doing seven figures, low to mid eight figures in their brand. And we would start talking and they'd say, yeah, I, I need to increase my repeat purchase rate. I want to send more targeted campaigns. I want to understand my customers better. A lot of this stuff that brands all across the world are, are having those conversations right now and have been for the last couple of years. But the issue was, you know, we started talking and we'd find out, wow, they're not even maximizing what, what they're currently using. They only have a couple of basic flows set up in Clavio. They're not collecting and then using data to personalize the experience. Frankly, their customers just like didn't enjoy their emails, right? Like <laughs> they're just sending emails that up, end up in the promotions tab that their customers just kind of tune out, right? Because there's no personality behind it. And it really got me thinking. I was like, wow, you know, I, I like sales, but like I could do that, right? Like I could I could do marketing. So I, I started teaching myself email marketing on the side and took some courses and ended up at a, at a certain point uh, getting my first client to manage their email marketing and copywriting. And after a few months of doing that, like way before it was financially advisable to do so, I ended up just jumping ship and saying like, I see that there's a lot of opportunity here with the agency or freelancing or whatever it's going to be. I really sort of had this like entrepreneurial itch to to get out and do my own thing. And I I was like, frankly, just really enjoying the marketing side of things. So I I made the leap and uh, didn't look back from there. How long ago was it that you made that leap into going full time into your agency? That was in twenty. I was that was the end of twenty twenty. So I had been working on the agency slowly for a you know a good portion of twenty twenty, and then got my first client like I think the summer of twenty twenty, and then ended up making that leap in like October or something. So okay, so this yeah, was post. Been- COVID-19 post post COVID. Yeah. Post COVID working, working remotely. And so, so you took the leap of leaving an enterprise job post COVID-19 couple months afterwards and going into an agency full-time. And this is the first time you were running your own business for like by yourself ever or in a long time or ever, ever. Yeah. Wow. First time. It takes a lot of guts. Time, yeah. It, it was it was a little crazy. I don't know. Like, I think that as entrepreneurs, right, your appetite for risk is maybe higher than the average person. But I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm like, sure, glad that it worked out because I was like not making very much money at all in the agency when I went full time. And then it coincided with making a pretty big investment in some coaching programs, et cetera, to help get it off the ground. So 
yeah, it very, very feel very blessed that it that it worked out and I've been able to continue doing it and have a really cool impact and everything since then. Well, I think it helped that you probably also the timing of I think in the past like year or two, like e-commerce has definitely been booming, you know, a significant amount due to the, due to COVID. So I think that also did work out kind of well there, right? People looking for more marketing services, businesses are a lot of businesses are dramatically changing. That's right. That's um, right. 100%. Uh, something that kind of struck a chord when I was hearing you saying it, and I would love to hear you kind of expand on it, is that, like you said, you know, people's like their customers just don't like their emails. They didn't enjoy their email. Like, how do you make somebody enjoy an email? <laughs> That's the <laughs> right. It's it's tougher. Well, I, I don't want to say it's tougher to do. It's 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 kind of it's an interesting paradigm shift. So think about it. We're all marketers. I'm, a, I'm an email marketer. I could probably count on one to two hands how many brands I truly enjoy getting their emails and reading, mm-hmm. hearing from them. Our inboxes are so saturated these days, right? Everything's going to the promotions tab. It all looks like when I think about when I describe it, it's like I think about like JCPenney or like Best Buy. And it's just like the big image based like cattle, yeah. you know, it's just like it's just one thing after the other. And it feels very transactional. I think when you, in order to get people to enjoy hearing from you, you've got to stop thinking about email just like it's a coupon distribution channel or like it's a one-way communication channel and start thinking about it more like this is a two-way communication channel between me and our audience. And there's a number of things that go into that, but the, some of the things that really make people enjoy hearing from you, I think one is when they can see themselves in the email, receive themselves in the marketing. This is a real pillar of what we do at 100 Celsius is this idea of audience participation and showcasing customers. So a lot of our content is really inviting people to reply back to emails or to submit reviews or if they leave testimonials or whatever, invite them to engage and then basically parrot that engagement back to them so that they are always wondering if maybe they're going to open an email and see themselves in it. So that's one way. The other way too is doing stuff that's not just selling, right? Everybody talks about like educational and content emails and stuff, but you got to read like when, when most, when you really look at what most brands are doing, most brands are 90% just selling, right? They're just treating email. Like we've got, we've got a flash sale or we've got, you know, a spring sale going on or whatever. And if they are sending content, it's like boring blog posts or stuff like that, right? So the question is, what kinds of content is your audience going to really love and appreciate? And it might have nothing to do with your product. But coming up, coming up with that kind of content, taking the time to be thoughtful about that, and actually asking your audience what they want to hear, all that good stuff, it's, like, it's really important. And I think that there's, there's a lot that goes into that. And then... I know I'm word vomiting here. Third, third key thing, and we can probably spend more time talking about this because this is something that I think a lot of brands get, get wrong, but it's this idea of life cycle marketing. What life cycle marketing is, is that customers at any given time are at different, different places in their journey with your brand. Maybe they're a new customer, they're a repeat customer, they're a VIP, they're a former VIP, they whatever there's there's these life cycle stages and what 
most a lot of brands don't realize is you really have to speak differently to each one of these customer segments, depending on where they're at in that journey with your brand. So a lot of what we do is helping brands come up with a life cycle stage based approach to say, how can we consistently create and deliver content that's different for your new customers than for your VIPs? Or how can we consistently work in campaigns and marketing messages for your reactivation opportunities? What cadence should they be getting messages from us? Do your, do your older, former lapsed customers need to be getting three emails a week or four emails a week? Probably not. Um, so all, all those things, but it all comes down to right message, right customer, right time. Don't be boring and invite that audience participation for us. So again, right customer, yeah. right time. Hit those ones again. Right message, right customer at the right time. That Life makes a lot of sense. Life. And if we're talking, yeah, if we're talking specifics, like one of the things you mentioned is you're not, you, you don't always want to be selling. Specifically, what does that mean? Like, you know, a lot of brands, like you said, they try and use emails as a medium to pretty much just put out whatever promotion that they want to put out. You talked a lot about like putting out content and extending that life cycle aspect of the marketing. How do you evaluate whether or not you're going to put a promo in an email, specific content, you're going to ask for engagement? Like, how do you make those decisions for the brand and as a brand? Yeah, it's a great question. And it really depends on the brand. Really easy way to think of it is, are you making more deposits than, are you, than you're making withdrawals? If you think about a relationship with an audience through email, SMS, etc., it's a good question to ask yourself. Have I been making a lot of withdrawals lately? Maybe I should make a deposit. <laughs> and I think a lot of a lot of the the practical way of making sure that happens is is taking the time to be thoughtful about how you structure your campaign calendar. One really easy way to do is have like recurring content campaigns every week, every month, specific things that you do that you know you can fall back on and plan for. So you're not just trying to pull content ideas out of your out of your back pocket, right? At the moment's notice. But this whole idea of selling versus not selling is a really interesting one because I would say that selling and relationship building are not mutually exclusive. Okay, a lot of people more. think if I'm selling, I'm not building a relationship. And that's not the case. We have clients that we sell very proudly. We are very, you know, we we act, we do lots of promotions, but they're done in a way that's engaging and fun. And there's a reason why we're doing it. And that I think is a really important thing to think about from that from that perspective. Is if you're going to be selling, it always is really powerful as a brand to have a reason why you're making it, you're asking for a sale or you're asking, you're putting out a discount. That's not just like, hey, we're running a flash sale. We'll do things like, uh, we call it the reply cycle technique, for example. We'll ask a question to the audience and we'll invite them to respond and we'll take a bunch of the best responses and then we'll feature it back in a, in a subsequent email. And maybe one of those responses is like really, really cool. And maybe they mentioned something like, ah, you know what? I've been, I'm on fixed income and I really love a, uh, you know, I've been wanting to stock up for a while on this product, but I haven't been able to. And so we'll like take that quote and then we'll like parrot it back in another email being like, hey, we totally agree. It's been a while since we've done this. And for any of you guys that have been waiting, haven't been able to stock up on this product, like 
check out, we totally agree with this customer. And so that's why we're doing a sale and we're going to name the discount after her. Like we might, ma- we might make the coupon code Angie or whatever, right? <laughs> to, to really just everything that we do is reinforcing this positioning as a brand. Like this is an opportunity. This is an exciting opportunity to buy and we're doing it for you to help you. And not because we are just wanting to make a sale. Right. And so I think that's- See, sorry, that, that oh, stuff we- is just fascinating to me. The, the fact that you guys take that much of a fine-tuned approach to develop that relationship. I mean, this is relationship first beyond anything, right? You know, we're talking about obviously growing a brand, but if we're talking about the steps to do so, I think developing the relationship in the, in the way that you just kind of described it is, is fascinating. And I don't think enough people are doing that. Um, if we were to back up a bit, why is this so important? Because, you know, a lot of people are going to look at this and say like, oh, this is maybe like a fallacy or, mm. you know, everyone talks about building relationships with your customers and that customer journey and the relationship, um, you know, between like that two-way um, communication that you kind of talk about. But why is it so important for a brand to focus their marketing, not just emails and, and SMS, but everything on, on that type of mindset? It's a super good question. We're in a day and age where there's just so much saturation in the market. Yeah. We have a lot of options. People have a lot of options to, for whatever they want to buy, generally speaking. And you're right. Everybody does talk about it. Everybody talks about email like, oh yeah, email's a relationship building channel. But most people don't walk the walk. And because of that, here's why this is really important is you can implement bits and pieces of these types of strategies and it doesn't, the bar is pretty low, right? The bar for creating a really cool moment for customers is actually not that high. Like how many brands do you know that ask, that send you an email? It's like, hey, Alex, this is Brian, the founder and CEO of Fellow Living or whatever brand you're getting email from. Just wanted to know like, hey, thanks for buying this product. Like, Hey, like quick question. Did you buy this like as a gift or did you buy it for yourself? Or like, Hey, what was the thing? You know, like what's your dog's name? Like that's, you know, like in a post-purchase email, like, Hey, like, man, we want to send your dog a treat. Like what's their name? Right. Like start starting a conversation. You get that kind of stuff and you're like, wait, what? It, it sort of breaks this. It's a pattern interrupt. And so what we really feel and what we've seen is that brands that you can create like the world's best experience or be a category leader in that experience by systematically like looking at your customer journey and saying like, what are a bunch of small little moments that I can create for customers that are like standout experiences? We call them like dynamic moments. And it's really cool because if you can do that, like all you're doing here is you're, you're turning your sort of generally apathetic customer base into people that go to the park or go to like when they're out of drinks being like, yo, like I just bought this thing and they sent me this crazy thing for their email. Like I sent something in and like they sent an email out with my name in it and you get people talking. And I think that that's like in this um, environment, having that kind of experience is really what is a super amazing differentiator for any kind of e-commerce brand or any business, frankly. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. So we talk about a, a bunch of different things, right? Pattern uh, breaking and inter- interrupting patterns. We talked about not overselling. There's a lot of different things that brands could be doing wrong with their email mm-hmm. marketing. 
what would you say is like the biggest one that, you know, you see it and you're like, come on, like, this is, you can't, you got to do better than this. Yes. Okay. Outside of every brand we go into, there's always like technical fixes, immediate optimizations, quick wins, that kind of thing that can, most brands are like missing out on, you know, three to 5% in revenue just because of like technical issues in their, in their account. Mm -hmm. So we fix that. After that, we actually, this is pretty counterintuitive and most brands don't think about this, but the place where we always prioritize starting is your post-purchase onboarding experience. And the reason for that is if a customer doesn't successfully use or enjoy or whatever, if they don't use Consume Complete, the thing that they just bought from you successfully, they're pretty much a one and done customer guaranteed. They're not going to come back and buy again. They're not going to tell their friends. They're not going to leave a review. And where I see a lot of brands make a big mistake is that they spend a ton of time trying to acquire a customer. So their abandoned cart flows and their welcome flow and everything will be really, you know, really built out, et cetera. And then they'll just have like a one email generic thank you message when they buy. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. If they have that in the first place. And I find that post-purchase experience is almost always super lacking for brands. But what they're doing is like they're actually just digging themselves in. Like they're they're not doing anything to, to deepen that relationship in the moment that it matters most. Because when you buy something, you're in this emotional high. And then almost immediately, you have this like buyer's remorse. Like that's what most most people experience is like psychological shift where they buy something. And then they almost immediately think, ooh, was that a good decision? Like, should I have spent a hundred bucks on that? Do I really need that? <laughs> and the, the, the reality is like most brands do nothing to kind of validate that purchase. Say like, hey, you did a great thing by buying. And then help guide them through that pre-arrival and then delivery experience where it's like, hey, here's the protocol that you need to be following to get the best results out of these supplements. Or, hey, you know, when you get our blanket, Make sure that you, you know, do X, Y, Z the first time, right? Wash it machine, cold, gentle, tumble dry. Otherwise it's going to pill. And what you're doing is like, you're educating them, you're setting expectations, you're, you're guiding them through that. And so like it, it just pays off massively throughout the rest of that customer relationship. And so that's really the, the first thing that we almost always do, um, unless there's like glaring issues with their front end flows. Uh, we optimize that that onboarding experience. Just in the same way, like as an agency, you have a structured onboarding process. As a SaaS company, you know, they take you through an onboarding process. It's really like overlooked in e-com and I don't know why. So do you think you, you can do things like that even with simple products as well? Uh, I'm sure you, you have and you, you can, but like, let's say I bought a deodorant stick or a pair of shoes. <laughs> how, how do I nurture that relationship immediately post-purchase? So that I can eliminate that buyer's remorse because everyone knows how to use those things. Yeah. Uh, and everyone knows what ex generally they're expecting from it. Maybe there's some type of content or education around that. Yeah. I think in those, that's a great question. I think in those situations, you really want to lean into uh, making them feel good for buying. Mm -hmm. Like they're going to get this, res they're going to look like somebody buys a pair of shoes. Why? Because they want to look fresh. <laughs> they want to look really cool rocking their new kicks, you know, they buy deodorant, like they don't want to smell bad. You know, they want to, they want to smell better. They have a sweating issue. They want to try 
aluminum, you know, aluminum free deodorant and they don't because they support the environment, whatever it is. In those where there's maybe not like a utility, like here's how to like open the cap of your deodorant and like twist the little thing to get it out. <laughs> you really yeah. want to focus on like making them feel like they made a good decision and right. helping get them excited. Like, man, you're going to smell so good uh, when, when you get this and really just like get them excited. It's that pre-arrival thing that I think in those cases you really want to focus on. Yeah, no, essentially what you're saying is like, you just want to sell the product in the same, with the same, you know, uh, principles that you've used before to sell that mm-hmm. product before they purchase you want to apply those same things and make them feel good about it right afterwards. Totally. And it's funny because Dave and I talk about this all the time. This is not just with D to C, you know, physical products. This is with anything, like you said, SaaS as well. If, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs in the industry buy courses or education, how many times do we see like you don't utilize the courses or the education or the mentorship that you have and it's kind of on, it's almost the responsibility is on the person providing that education or that mentorship to, to make sure that you utilize this, so that you keep coming back and you find value out of it. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to start to believe, oh, I'm wasting my money here, but it's, you're not, you're not utilizing what you spent your money on. And that's, that's super important to realize as a that's brand. That's a super good point, man. I completely agree. If you're selling something, you need to make sure that you are doing everything in your power to ensure the consumption of that thing. Like your customers mm-hmm. get success with it. That's actually, I believe that for e-commerce, I, you know, I believe that for any courses, training programs, things like that. And then, like, we've all taken so many courses, right? Where it's, you buy it and again, you're left out to dry. Or it's like so big, long, complex. It never, it felt like it was never meant to be implemented in the first place by you. More as like a pre-sell to just work with us, you know? <laughs> and... I, I, yeah, I completely agree. It's the onboarding process makes like really makes or breaks people feeling like you really care about their success is really important. So let me ask you this, Brian, because as us all being marketers, I'm sure we have swipe files and you're always paying attention to everybody else's marketing out there. Um, so don't toot your own horn by choosing a client of yours, but who have you noticed out there? Like they crush it with this, like their email, like every little step that they do, like you just, you're a fanboy uh, of their work. That's a great question. Um, one that I really think it's it's a little bit different. It's not so much personality based, but I think that Huckberry does a super good job of creating content that their audience actually wants to see. They do all kinds of really interesting articles. They feature out to other websites. It's really they treat their email email like their weekly email like it's. They're tr- really optimizing it for like, what is our, what do our customers really want to read? How can we step into that and be that publication that they actually want to read? And oh, by the way, we sell t-shirts and stuff and they're here. So Huckberry is great. I, I've always loved beard brands emails. I think yeah. from an educa- education standpoint, it's really good. It's a nice, it's a nice model to look at, to say like your emails don't have to necessarily be these like big, you know, super well-designed like things, productions, it's like, they can be a banner image and some like really thoughtful copy or education. Who else? You won't find me subscribed to those emails, guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's a brand that I always, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's like a women's fashion. Spanx is really good at this. I mean, we Spanx, mentioned Spanx, Spanx is really good. Yeah, Spanx is a huge company with a great big team and lots of data on people and you know how to use that data. 
who else? Not too many brands do it super well though. Like, I mean, honestly, if, if you look in your, I'm, I really, I really struggle sometimes to even like think about lots of brands that like do this really, really well. Right. Um, yeah. Nobody's perfect. You could always get, every brand is always going to be able to get better somehow at this specifically, but with all marketing. Totally. So to pivot a little bit, uh, well, we could, we could also, uh, piggyback off of that. What would you say is you personally, and, and with 100 Celsius, your biggest success story with email and SMS marketing? It's a great question. We've had a lot of success stories. Brands, of course, like making a lot more money through email, SMS. We work with a celebrity brand that in my mind is our biggest success story from both a revenue and an engagement standpoint. We do a lot. Can you tell of us who or no? Uh, we work with Tommy no Chong. C- Tommy Chong CBD. Oh, okay. And they, what's really really cool is it's an amazing example of a brand where almost every email is a content piece. It's basically like a content piece. It's a message from Tommy, and the the audience is the most. It's the most engaged email list I've ever seen. For example, we sent an email late last year to the list asking, Hey, what's your favorite thing about being on this email list? And we had like 1200 people respond back, like literally with testimonials saying like, this is, we love your, your emails for X reason or Y, right. Or we love your product. That's insane. And every we and email, as you can imagine with that kind of a list does a lot of revenue for them like we so it's really commercially (laughs) successful it's super profitable but it's done in a way where it's like it's completely like relationship building uh personality driven and so like i I think as an agency that's one of our bigger success stories getting to be a part of that of course you know there's there's a lot that goes into it it's not just me or my team right but it's been really awesome to to get to help move that client forward and then I also really, I, I, I look at our paid membership community called The Boiling Point, and it's been really rewarding for me seeing a lot of members in there that maybe are smaller brands, you know, don't, not ready to work with like a high level agency, but obviously need to be doing email and SMS and it's a great revenue channel. What is The Boiling Point? Can you tell our audience? Yeah, The Boiling Point, it's a, it's a membership community that my team and I run and it's designed to be a place where Shopify founders and marketers can go and get fast, practical, highly actionable ways to grow their store using email, SMS and direct mail and customer service. That's awesome. So all this stuff that we, that we're talking about is like the, the foundation for all that, the trainings that like all these techniques, my goal is increasingly it all, it's just all there, you know, it's like, and it's all designed to be able to be implemented by brands, not in like these big, long flows, but like, here's much, here's something you can do in 30 minutes to create a better experience with your customers. Um, and we're all plugged in there, we, you know, one-on-one support, coaching calls, all that good stuff. So it's been really cool, but it's, it's really nice because I'm connected with a lot of brand owners that you know, maybe would, would like to work with us, but just a little bit out of their reach at this point. And it's a really great modality to be able to like support these people and see like, 
hey, like we had no idea what we were doing for email before. We had no idea what kind of content to create. And now we're like making regular sales through email or we just rolled out SMS. And that's like, that's for me, that's really, really rewarding. So that's the perfect transition. I was just going to bring up SMS. You talk about it. You guys obviously do it uh, and you apply, I'm assuming the same principles that you do to email with the relationship first mindset. Talk a little bit about SMS in general. I mean, if we're just starting from the top, right? Why should brands focus on SMS in addition to email? I mean, there's the obvious reasons, like you said, email is saturated, but what else? Mm -hmm. You always have this on you. And so I mean, for the people listening, it's, he's holding it's up a phone, the phone. It's a phone. Yeah. <laughs> My old iPhone 8 cracked. <laughs> you SMS, I was actually pretty skeptical about starting to go more into SMS as an agency. Personally, because I don't like opting into SMS lists. Like I don't <laughs> I don't like getting I don't like getting texts and brands. But a lot of people actually turns out a lot of people do. And what you know, we realized after starting to roll it out for some of our clients is that SMS ha converts so much better than email. Like we, how much better? Like on average, yeah. Like give some numbers. If here. you had to put a number to it, yeah, twenty x better. Whoa, twenty x better. Maybe more. Here, here's here's a good example. Like we had a client, and we did let's say six hundred thousand dollars through email in the span of like in Q4 or something like that. Okay. We rolled out from a list of active list of, I don't know, 80, 90, hundred K, maybe more. <laughs> and we, we rolled out SMS for them. They had a list of like five or 6,000 people that, and they did like almost the exact same amount of revenue through SMS from like a list that was like 10 X smaller. And what you realize is like the earnings per subscriber, earnings per message, like click-through rates, if it's done well, are like off the charts. And really it's a function of, it's really easy to miss emails, but it's really hard to miss texts. Mm -hmm. And- Is it really just the open rates? Is that the biggest factor? Open rates, click-through rates, but also if I'm, if I'm the kind of person that's gonna opt into your SMS list, I'm probably a higher intent customer in the first place. Right, so that makes sense. Right. I'm probably likelier to buy from you in the first place if. I'm willing to give you my phone number. That being said, we've done testing and it's like, it's not, there is a little bit of crossover, but really SMS is in a lot of ways, incremental revenue on top of email. And you can do, it's really important because it's, it's highly visible. It allows you to get timely stuff out and, and know that people are going to see it. And it's actually really good for this like relationship based approach or two-way communication, because like you can hook it up to say gorgeous if you use that for like your help desk, or even in tools like PostScript or SMS Bump or what have you. You can have like conversations with people, or you can have them reply with a keyword. And it's like we're all used to texting conversations, and like you can set that kind of stuff up through SMS. So it's really powerful when it's done right. So my perception of SS, SMS marketing is what I've gotten before, which is just like the spammy text with like, here's your coupon code. And then mm -hmm. it has the opt out verbiage. Um, and I typically just ignore pretty much every one of those, but how, how do you do it right? How do you apply, you know, the relationship building to text message here without getting annoying? Yeah. You know, I think you, I think when you, when you think of SMS, 
oftentimes we like to think of it more like helpful announcements. So less about we're just like pushing sales out, but what are things that people would really want to know about? And oftentimes that is like promotions and stuff like that, right? But the frequency of SMS communication, in my opinion, should be lower um, than email. Some other things to think about, like they're really good for, for example, the post-purchase experience. Like let's say you have it hooked up to your you know, shipment tracking and you can say, hey, your order's out for delivery through SMS. Or when the order is delivered, like, hey, your order was delivered. When you open the box, make sure to take a video or a picture of the unbox, of like unboxing it and text mm. it back to us. Like mm, you, can right. do, you can do that kind of stuff. Or for example, let's say that you are an automotive company and you sell like coatings or whatever. It's like, and you do coatings for like cars, bikes, boats, whatever you opt into an SMS list and SMS providers like Postscript or, or SMS bump that Yapo like have keyword abilities. So it's like, Hey, thanks for joining. Hey, what are you coding? Like respond back with bike, boat, car. And you respond back and then you can automate follow-ups to say like, Oh, cool. We love, you know, we've got a bunch of stuff that's good for bikers. Like, Hey, here's 10% off to use in the biker category here. Boom. Like that's fascinating. Yeah. So like <laughs> even, even thinking about it, just taking that extra step where you can use SMS, not only as like a more personal connection, but also data collection and for segmentation too. It's just really powerful if you get to that step. Now for brand owners, owners listening, how does that work with images? You mentioned like send a picture of an unboxing. Is there any like manual oversight of that on, on the brand side or how does that work? Yeah. It just depends on how it's set up, but they can text stuff back to you and it, depending on where, how you're set up, it goes, it routes back to your, your help desk or to the back end of whatever tool you're using. And you can continue that conversation. You can download UGC. It's great for that kind of stuff, but there's a bit of a technical setup to it. Makes a lot of sense. That's, I mean, that's super innovative, fascinating. I mean, all the words, all the adjectives that you can apply to that, right. That's just next level stuff. We're talking about innovation and marketing and what brands need to do to, you know, catch up with the the new world of marketing. This is the stuff that like they have to be doing, right? Yeah, I mean, even if you do some of it, it's better than nothing. That's the thing is, this is all. It's, it takes a lot of thoughtfulness to put this stuff together, but mm-hmm. really, really, what it all comes back to in my mind is this intentional experience design, where you say as a brand, what should my brand new customers be getting from me. What should my repeat customers be getting from me? What do I want my prospects? If I was going to meet somebody on the street and they asked me about my product, what would I tell them? Like, put that in your welcome flow, you know? Like, and so like a lot of that stuff, it, you don't have to get too too crazy because where a lot of brands do get into trouble, like thinking about that like data collection piece. We saw this all the time at the Martech company I was working at. A lot of brands like to collect data, but then they don't do anything with it to improve the customer experience. It's really hard to do it. So sometimes you do have to start really small and just do really basic stuff. And uh, what's an example of small and basic? It's a great question. Okay, so if if you were to open up, if you were a brand owner, if you're a marketer, and you were to go get like a email marketing for e-commerce course, 
that that course is going to take you through like your core flows. They're going to say like, okay, you're going to do a welcome flow. You're going to do a abandoned abandoned carts. You're going to do a browse abandonment. You're going to do all this stuff post purchase. And a lot of times they recommend these kind of like big long flows, right? Like six, seven, eight emails, discount mm-hmm. upgrades. And our perspective here is actually like that's oftentimes counterproductive. When you try to do too much and make these big, long, complex flows, it's really hard to actually personalize them because then you're dealing with like splits, like three different splits of like eight emails <laughs> each. And there's like no way anybody's going to be able to manage that and to create a better experience. Like, for example, I would rather send instead of a six email abandoned cart flow that was just the same abandoned cart flow for everybody, I'd rather have three abandoned cart flows of two emails each that are all essentially the same, but personalized to different segments. So it's like, I would rather have an abandoned cart flow for prospects, for VIPs, and for existing buyers, all mutually exclusive, or whatever, whatever is meaningful. Um, And each one, just two emails that are really easy to really easy to change, really easy to manage and test versus like these big complex things. And so my, my perspective is like, you know, we, this is this idea that we call like dynamic moments, which is like, it's much better to have like a lot of small standout moments than trying to go crazy and create these like big, long, complex automations. So you want to think about that experience. Like maybe, maybe all you can do is two emails for that post-purchase to start. It's better than nothing. You know, you should get it up. Like, try to cover your bases and then you can always test and see what works and go from there. So is the idea to focus much more on segmentation? I would say so. Segmentation. Yeah, it's a, it's a quality over quantity approach essentially, right? Quality over quantity approach. Yeah, it makes sense. It's uh, right back to the original theme of relationship first, right? It's it's about nurturing that relationship through the different segments that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people I think especially in like the online marketing space, they're really um, they're like, I've never seen a brand make not make more money by sending more emails. Like that's a pretty common thing you hear where increase frequency or, you know, send lots of emails. Like not, not wrong. You probably do make more money every time you send an email, but at what cost? Mm-hmm. I would rather build a strategy that is going to work in three years and people are going to want to stay engaged with for a year than like, burn them out. Do you, um, do you follow Ben Settle? I do. Yeah. Yeah. He hammers you with the emails, man. <laughs> he, well, he does, but like, he has a lot of value in it too. He has a lot of value in you and they're actually interesting. So not everybody likes it. Like a lot of people unsubscribe, but like people that like, I'm not saying that a daily email doesn't work. I just think for it's, it's one thing if you're kind of like a internet marketing guru or you're a coach or you're somebody with like tips or real personality personality brands have a leg up here because like if you're backed by a celebrity or an influencer like there's more of an opportunity to do that because just like somebody would follow you on social media like they'll probably appreciate hearing from you via email but if you're just like i don't know some brand selling shoes or deodorant like how often do people really want to hear from you yeah i think like we work with subscription-based companies it's like 
the frequency of campaigns for those brands is like a lot lower and should be a lot lower. Why? Because like every touch point, you're kind of like reminding people like, oh yeah, I'm subscribed to this thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I like, think about like, how often do you want to hear from Geico, your insurance company or whatever? Like, so it's really contextual and it really depends on the brand, but it's important to be thoughtful about that. You were talking earlier about the cadence for texts, like over email. Um, how do you view that in terms of with like, you know, direct to consumer brands? I would say, again, it, it depends on what sort of campaigns you send via text. But I think a pretty safe bet is like one to two times a week, as long as they're good and they're segmented. Wow. That's way more than I thought, actually. I would generally say one, one a week. Here's the thing, though, is like you you don't need to send it to your entire list. Like most people would just send it to their entire SMS list. But in the same Mm -hmm. way that you would maybe want to send something different to existing customers than prospects, like maybe existing buyers don't need to get, you know, your third discount reminder. But like your, your prospects, your prospects probably should, right? They should probably get the open of a sale and the close of a sale. They should probably get all that stuff. Um. You really want to control for unsubscribes with SMS because each subscriber is really valuable. So unsubscribes cost you a lot more. Yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, guys, I want to get into fellow living because yeah. uh, I, I am fascinated to talk about waterproof dog blankets. <laughs> <laughs> Woke up this morning. It was the main thing on my mind for the day is to talk more about this. So how did this come about was this i mean you're, you're doing this with your wife chelsea right mm-hmm. did, how did this was it her idea was it your idea i'm assuming you guys have a dog <laughs> i've never been to your house but that's a safe assumption Pretty uh, good you know assumption. What, what was the idea here yeah we were the idea for this came about because when we got archie which is our little westy puppy pandemic puppy we got him and <laughs> he was like you know he's our little buddy and we really wanted to like get to spend lots of quality time with him and, and cuddle with him on the couch he was just like so cute but it only took like one accident on the couch during potty training for us to be like oh we should probably put like put something in between our dog and the couch for the bed because he's potty training so he's like having accidents and we're working through that process with him but you know, he'd have accents on the floor, on the couch if he's sitting up there. And we started talking to a lot of people. They're like, yeah, like, you know, like dogs have accidents. And a lot of people like weren't letting their dogs on the couch with them or, or on, on the bed. And we started thinking like, wow, you know, we need to get a, uh, we need to get a waterproof dog blanket. Like we, st- and I don't know if we were like, I, I don't think that we were, were alone in that. Uh, <laughs> in thinking that like during that potty training phase. So we started looking and turns out there were actually probably more than you would expect brands successfully selling waterproof dog blankets. And we ended up buying a handful of them, like a bunch of them and realizing like they all kind of sucked in one way or the other. Either they just like looked like they were super cheaply made with a big paw print on them or, you know, and they were like flimsy, like, just not high quality made of polyester or there was like probably our, like the biggest brand out there selling, selling these blankets. We're selling them for like 150 bucks and it looked like they killed a yak and skinned it and threw it over their couch and threw a blanket. (laughs) 
you can't dry it in the dryer, right? So it's like machine washable, uh-huh. but you can't dry it. And like, it took three days to hang dry, which is like kind of defeats the purpose of a lot of big dog blanket. <laughs> so we started thinking specifically about, for body training. Your yeah, dog can't go every three days, <laughs> right? Right. So we were we we started thinking like, man, you know, we like there's a there's a cool opportunity for us to make something that looks really good that you're not embarrassed to have out in your house when your friends come over. Like you don't have to like secretly put away your paw print blanket. It's like no, it looks like it it makes sense decor wise. Super durable, completely waterproof, and premium safe materials for your dog. Another one, big one for us was like, and I think we could probably do this here in the US. Like that was really important for us is like create something domestically that was supporting local economies, local mills, local cut and sewers, et cetera. So yeah, we started the process of product development and materials testing and prototyping. It took us like a long freaking time. I mean, like a lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> When did the project? When start? did you first come up with the idea? Huh? What do you say? I was saying when did you come? When did you first come up with the idea? Uh, we first came up with the idea in February or March of 2021 of last year. Okay, and you just launched it. We're recording this in March we're of 2022. March so you're... 2022, and we're like, we have pre-orders open as we speak. We're we're our blankets are in LA getting manufactured, like they're in production as we speak. So, which is really exciting. But yeah, it took a long time. And it's been a, it's been like very eye opening and very challenging from somebody that's like used to creating is service based businesses and like digital products and all that stuff to like trying to create a physical product is a whole different ball game and a physical product that's like good and high quality and that you like. So. Yeah. So for the people listening, you can go to the site right now, fellowliving.co, correct, mm-hmm. Brian? And you can look, and Brian Brian said, like, a lot of the other competitor, uh, competitors, it looks like a yak with skin <laughs> for a blanket. But this, I mean, it looks like a regular old blanket. Like, it, it's not even just specific for a dog. I kind of want to use it myself, right? It's just, it looks yeah, very it's, comfortable. It's, it's not winning any awards for, like, design, right? It's not, it's not like, the most world's most beautiful blanket. But it doesn't look, it doesn't look bad. <laughs> it actually looks really, it actually looks really nice. And the utility of it is right. amazing. Like we could dump a gallon of water on that thing and not a drop would leak through. And so you're right. Wow. You're right that it's like we're it's we're really, you know, positioning this for dog owners and specifically people during potty training. So you think about the customer journey. A lot of what we're doing is trying to get this in front of people at that specific moment window of time where they're about to get a dog or they just got a dog. And try to really target and hone in on that through influencers, through you know paid media, all that stuff, our content strategy. Um, but yeah, like my, our my father in law was like, wow, like this would be great for like you're in Boston and you like want to lay this out on your seat to, so you know, it doesn't get wet, you know, at a sports game, <laughs> or like older dogs that have incontinence, or mm. I don't know, picnics. You're out at the beach. Like, there's a lot of things you could do with that. Sure, multi-use, absolutely. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest challenge you're facing or you have faced so far in building the brand and how are you and your wife tackling it? A couple things. It's obviously e-commerce brands are cash eating monsters. <laughs> so we've poured a lot of money into it, getting it developed. It, this blanket's not cheap to make. Like it, it actually costs a lot to make, which is why we have to charge 
a premium for it. And it's a premium blanket, like it's premium materials, but, and it solves a real problem for people. But yeah, the, the investment is totally different, right? It's not, it's, it's like, it's, it wasn't the kind of startup where it's like, we just could just put a couple thousand dollars into it. It's like, it, you know, it was sort of a leap of faith for us to like make that kind of an investment in it. And also how slow it's been is a big challenge. Just the, we, we've experienced so many delays and setbacks from like machines at the mill needed parts replacing that. Like, so it took an extra 10 weeks, you know, or our manufacturers, just communications, not very quick. There's so many different things where samples wrong, all, all that stuff where it requires a lot of patience and staying power. And I think a lot of brands give up in that first period of time because they never make it to that place where they're launching because it's just like, so it could be so demoralizing. There's so many pieces of the, of the puzzle that are completely out of your own control. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I, I, I mentioned it earlier. I really have a, such a huge respect now for any smaller, like smaller brand owner entrepreneur that's making physical things themselves you know, taking that route of not just like white label, I mean, private labeling stuff from China, that's like, that's an amazing way to go. But like, we're creating something that didn't exist before, like custom fabric, custom material, custom design. And I don't know if I'm hoping that that was a good decision, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it really is like- You're making designer waterproof dog blankets, Brian. <laughs> it, it's tough. And thank goodness I had my wife- to help with that because she's like much she's really been the one to like move that forward and she's kind of like our our point person ceo for the for the brand so she's been amazing with it yeah no that's awesome she's done a great job it looks it looks awesome if i had a dog i'd be absolutely buying one <laughs> <laughs> i need to buy the dog first it, man. um for for brand owners that are listening what do you say because you know this is a this is a multi-use product. Like we mentioned, it has multiple different uh, ways of being used, but you're targeting a specific segmented market. What do you say for brand owners that are doing the same thing? They're selling in a very unique market like you guys are. Hard, hard for me to say, I guess, because it's like we're still in this pre-order phase and a lot of what we're planning to do has yet to be proven. But what I would, this is the, this is the direct response background coming in. But when I was thinking about a product and I was thinking about a market to serve, I really wanted something that fit, that addressed a specific need or a specific problem for a specific person. And I don't think that serving a, like a, a specific niche like that or a smaller niche is a bad thing. It's, I think it's actually like a real advantage. What we're because we really want to create a brand where if you are the right person, if you're in that time of your dog ownership experience, everything about our brand screams, oh yeah, this is for me. Like this is like, this is for me at this moment in time. And I think that that is something a lot of brands maybe don't think about is just that product market match and how that translates into your messaging, which is like, how can you communicate? Everybody's asked, always asking the question, like, is this right for me? And is this right for me right now? So 
how do you address like the is it for me and then the timing of it which is why we were really excited to like come up with a product that it's like there's a specific period of time and so things like mm -hmm. we're going to be reaching out to youtube influencers that post videos like hey we're getting a dog because they're you know they're at that moment in time and also the people that find those videos and watch that are also in the market for that kind of stuff they're buying things for their dog and so it's all about really highlighting and really narrowing in on that that period of time and so how do you, how do you do that as another brand right look for those opportunities and really think about when what are the inflection points in which people buy my stuff like what what happens right before somebody buys or that gets them searching and then maybe try creating content that's really targeted towards those inflection points in those moments. That makes a lot of sense. I have that's a super question. valuable. I have a question that I think probably a lot of other e-com brands um, may be thinking about and dealing with. Because when I look at the product right now, um, I wonder, like, how do you increase the lifetime value of a customer? Right. It seems like it's a it's a product for a specific specific period of time. Naturally, the next thing you do is what's the next product for the next period of time. But I'm sure there's a lot of other e-com brands out there that they feel like they have a single use product. And it's like, what's the strategy? What's the game from there? That's a super good question. <laughs> totally depends on the brand. Our strategy, like what we're our next move is color variations. What does that mean? Tell us more. We sell a blue, like oh, our, no. our, our blanket right now, we sell it in one color. It's a navy blue. looks really nice. Right. But in the next couple months, as this stuff starts selling through, we want to launch in additional colors. And so one, it opens up, some people may not want that blue color. But also what we're really trying to, our short-term thing is how can we increase the AOV and get people to be buying two or three blankets um, on the front end? Because if you think about it, if your, your dog has an accident on your blanket, you're going to have to put it in the wash, but you might still want a blanket. Or maybe you want one for your car and for your bed or the crate and the couch. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity to get multiple blankets. And I think that you, you know, for us then it's like other products, right? Like we, we have, you know, a, a lineup of other stuff that we're kicking around and we really actually want to just like see how this goes and see what the feedback is to help us direct towards what, what comes next. But you're right, Dave, like it's different products for different stages of that journey or different, different moments in time for that customer, different use cases. I th my, my, blanket, my blanket advice for, I think, other e-com brand owners thinking about, I've got a product that- <laughs> No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so funny. <laughs> give it some thought like, really give it some thought I, we call it the repeat buyer journey that repeat buyer narrative like what's the what's what is the what's a logical reason why somebody would buy twice from you and map your marketing to that repeat buyer journey because for most brands you only make a profit when somebody comes back and buys a second time right because the cost of acquisition on the front end is so high you really want to be consistently bringing people back through low cost channels like email or SMS to make that profit so you can fuel the machine. 
it's tough though. It's tough for single purchase, like single use brands. We work with some of them. And frankly, it's really hard. Like there's, you know, maybe accessories, a lot of, I think a big opportunity for, for, uh, for econ brands going forward are actually digital products. I think that that's something to consider is like, let's say you sell an exercise machine. Maybe you only need one of those, but could you put together a really baller exercise course or a fitness regime, a fitness regime top, you know, top by one of the top coaches or a guest coach and sell that on the back end as a recurring membership or something like that. And that's why you see like, you see brands like Peloton and those types of brands where the, the single purchase thing is the entry into a continuity program. And I think that that's, that's a really good move for a lot of people. If you can swing it, it just takes some creativity. But that's why we really like to work with brands that have opportunities for repeat purchases. Because we always say, like, we want to be selling supplements, not mattresses. Mattresses, like, you look at Casper or whatever, how, like, unprofitable those brands are. There's so little opportunity for retention. And a lot of, so a lot of that comes down to what, what are you selling and, like, what can you logically convince people to how can you bring people back, right? Some, some brands you just can't. So on this note, this is a perfect place, I think, to transition. We talked a little bit about, you know, finding an agency or a marketing partner that can help you with these things. And I think this is a good point to start talking about that because you, you know, the most important thing is extending that lifetime value, like Dave said. And for those that's hard to do, having additional products or services to sell. That's obviously something that's an agency or a marketing partner can help with in general. What would you say is like for a brand owner looking for a marketing partner, what should they be looking for? I think it's important for when you are considering working with an agency, it's really important to have a pretty solid idea of what that agency wants to do with your brand, the direction they want to take you before entering into an engagement with them. A lot of brand, a lot of agencies say, basically take a sales approach, which is like, hey, trust us, we're going to do great. But statistically speaking, most agencies don't do a great job. <laughs> like, and that's, right. you know, there there's so many stories, right, of brand owners or clients that have really bad agency experiences. And so, and a lot of that, in my mind, and even as when I was getting started out, like, I didn't really know. And so I would go start working with a client and I would take the same approach. It's like, Hey, trust me. Like I'm really smart. I'm a good writer. I know how to do this stuff and it's going to be great. And usually it was, but the issue was that when you do that, um, when you do, when you take that approach, the agency is really, they're incentivized and they're, they're under pressure to like skip the planning and maybe not be as thoughtful as possible just to get straight to like, we're going to send emails and make you money. So what we always like to do, like, to make sure that we're a good fit for a brand and the brand's a good fit for us is we do like an initial discovery project where we call it the 90 day customer engagement roadmap. We really lay out a full next 90 days of like, this is exactly what we're going to do for you. Or we would recommend if you hire us here, are all the different campaigns. It's like really meant to be a business asset for the client. And that also really gives them a good opportunity to experience working with us prior to you know, having an 
get married, right? <laughs> Which you you know you're not you're not doing with an agency, but switching costs are tough. It's tough to like hire somebody and then have to go to somebody else. You want to avoid that as much as possible. Um, and then I'm sure you guys like totally are on the same page, but like the one of the biggest things I think you should be looking for in a partner is proactivity. Is just like proactivity of communication, proactivity of ideas being able to communicate that. And that's, it's really, it's harder than it seems as an agency at scale to, to be proactive, but it makes a huge difference. And I think if you're in close relationship and close communication, let's say a campaign goes poorly. It's like, well, they've been updated throughout the whole point, right? Like they know what's going on at least. And usually that doesn't become the thing that creates a separation, but if without the proactivity, like it only takes one bad thing to, to basically ruin a relationship, you know, like for example, you know, we had a, we had a client, we parted ways with them at the end of the year and then they worked for six months with another agency and ended up coming back to us after six weeks. And like, one of the reasons why is just like, they didn't have the same level of intimacy of the communication and proactivity and uh, expert partnership and guidance that I think that they needed. And that's really what I think, if you're going to hire out for this as a brand owner, you really want to find somebody that you trust where you can lean out a little bit and let them trust that they're going to do a good job for you, but also that they're going to bring you into the loop as the brand owner. So important. Yep. Absolutely. So I have one more question that we can get into wrapping up and our closing question. What would you say in your career, by the way, for the audience, how old are you, Brian? 27. 27. Yeah. Very young, very successful already. But what would you say is so far your biggest failure, whether it's personally or within the company? And what did you think you learned from that experience and took away from it? Uh, management <laughs> has been a, has been a big struggle. Like honestly, going really quickly from two to three people to eight, nine people on the team, not been easy. Like, and I think that generally I'm a pretty good leader, but am really have not historically, have not necessarily been a good manager. I think through that whole process, a lot of, a lot of challenges. And I, and I think I like realized at certain points, especially like this last year and like I was doing things that just like made it not that enjoyable to like work like just like didn't where people weren't feeling empowered they didn't feel like they were being trusted like you know a little bit of that like mr fix it mentality of like oh something goes wrong you gotta hop in and fix it yourself versus like showing people how to do it and so i would say that like that's been it's been a challenge and in my mind like a failure of me as a manager but it's something that we're working on you know i'm working on personally a lot and I think, I think it's getting better. You can ask my team, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Yeah, Dave and I struggle with that too. And I think it's, it's a good failure to have because you learn so much from it. Like one of the best ways to learn how to delegate or be a good manager or be a good leader or supervisor or mentor to your employees and your colleagues is to be a bad one or a not sufficient one. And you realize like, oh, I'm not doing a good enough job. This is what I have to do better. Nobody teaches you that stuff though. No, it's the hardest thing. Hardest thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's really, it's really such a limiting factor is the team, the team management, the leadership, those skills. 
especially for an agency, e-commerce brands, it's a little bit different. Like there's eight figure brands that are like three people in a VA, but, <laughs> but agencies are basically like, you know, the one big HR department, like big, <laughs> just like you need people and those people have to be moving in the right direction. You got to have communication systems and that stuff. Yep. Every entrepreneur, unless you're a solopreneur, you need, you need that type of system. You need that type of skill. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool. So we'll start to wrap up here. And one of the things we, or two of the things that we like to do when we wrap up is one, where can listeners find you, get in touch with you, follow you, follow your companies, <laughs> plural now, mm -hmm. um, and, and keep up. Yeah. For the agency, if you can always follow me on Facebook or Instagram, my website is 100celsius.co. I'll definitely put the link in there because there's like five opportunities in that short name to get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, most people do. I don't know why I picked it. You know, European, metric, you know, non-American metric system, whatever. It's, it was cool. Um, <laughs> Hence boiling point. Well, the boiling point. Basically just created of water and that's the paid community, yeah. which brings me to, if you go to our website, you will also be able to, to check out the boiling point. Uh, the boiling point.com should also work as well as a redirect. The links will be there. And then if you want to follow along with our e-commerce brand, we're on Instagram, fell living and the website's fell living.co. So Sweet. When is when is two twelve Fahrenheit dropping? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many variations of the same thing I can put out. Yeah, right. It's just all synonyms, but it, it works. It sticks. That's when he goes international, right? He's using Celsius domestically. <laughs> <laughs> Use Fahrenheit internationally and Celsius domestic. That's funny. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely put those this, uh, those links in the description for you, and everyone can you know find every, all the different places to follow you and the company and, and fellow living as well. So one thing we want to do, and and we like to do with all of our guests uh, to close out here, um, is kind of a weird question that sparks your imagination a little bit. If you could sit in a room with a bunch of mentors once every morning to help guide you, who would be in that room? And they can be alive or dead. Hmm. That's a great question. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. In no particular order. <laughs> I'm reading this book. I'm reading John Wooden on leadership. Hmm. John Wooden or, the, you know, UCLA coach. Coach. yeah, UCLA coach. Most, you know, most championships ever, right? And I feel like he would be, man, what a killer person to like leadership. Like that book is amazing, but that would be really just being able to sit down with somebody like that on every morning, talk about team building and stuff would be really cool. Let's see. This is going to be like the most cliche, like current marketer thing ever, but like uh, Alex Hermosi, you know, you follow, I follow him and everybody's probably like a lot of people are going to say that. But he's one of those guys where it's like I actually follow him on Instagram and his wife Layla and like read the you know, hundred million dollars and it's like everything in there. It's like oh yeah, like I needed to see, I needed to hear that today, or like I that was really relevant for me today. And it's just like he's just so great. And so 
hopefully I get to that point where it's, you know, we're at a place where we can actually be a portfolio company. <laughs> who knows? Right? Yeah, listening, hit me up. Yeah. Who, who else? I think maybe our, the lead pastor at my church would be a good one too, just from like a spiritual development, uh, just like a man, you know, personal, really respect him. C.S. Lewis would be really cool as an author. It's a good one. Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> How cool would that be? I just, and then I think the other one, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. Really? <laughs> Why? <laughs> I think Ryan Reynolds is one of the most genius marketers on the planet right now. I think he is really? one of the smartest guys. And what he's doing with his media company, I, I think is just like, the way he runs all these different brands and his like entrepreneurship, I think he's like so freaking smart and he's great at like, how do you not be freaking boring, right? Like how to not be super boring. That's what Ryan Reynolds is really great at and business. And I think that would be really amazing to be able to sit down with him. That is an, uh, one, your answers were fantastic, but two, they were so diverse. It was so awesome. Yeah. There, <laughs> there were so many people from so many different fields. I love that answer. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much, Brian, for being on the show. Uh, I think I could count on five hands how many gold nuggets you dropped today. And uh, I know all the brand owners and all of our listeners and entrepreneurs listening are going to be super happy with everything you had to say today. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, for everyone listening, please follow our podcast and check out our content on all the platforms we link below. And uh, follow Brian. Go and go and you know check out 100 Celsius. Go if you have a dog, go buy a blanket. Um, can't hurt you. <laughs> well, appreciate you guys having me on, Dave. Alex, it's been a pleasure. You guys are amazing. Go check out. It's Rocket Car, right? Is the e-commerce your your agency? Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. management consulting. Yep. You guys are crushing it. Doing amazing work. So would completely echo that back and recommend everybody check you guys out because you know you'll be in good hands. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. I'm going to go check yeah. out Ryan Reynolds now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know what you think. <laughs> Take care, man. All right. Good All right. seeing you. We'll leave it on that. <laughs>